0: Hey, Dr. Darko, where'd you go to get your life and disability insurance? I went to Set for Life Insurance. They helped me save over 30% compared to my previous policy. Wow, I'm paying an arm and a leg for my life and disability insurance. What's that company called again? Set for Life Insurance. Check them out at setforlifeinsurance.com and tell them Dr. Darko sent you.
1: Welcome to Doc's Outside the Box podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds
0: of cutting-edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry. You're getting real-life insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary
1: things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko.
0: Hey, Docs, are you looking to learn how to become a physician leader? Then Physician CEO is for you. Physician CEO is an accelerated business immersion program designed for physicians and developed by MBA faculty from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. So learn more at www.physician-ceo.com forward slash dotb. What's going on, everybody? What's good? This is Dr. Nee. We're here with another episode of Docs Outside the Box. It's been about two weeks since the last episode, so I didn't forget about you all. Just a lot of things, a lot of positive things, a lot of big changes happening with Docs Outside the Box, as well as a lot of travel is going on, and as a result, there's been some delay with getting the episodes out, but thank you again for your patience and trust me, I definitely think that you're going to be really happy with the changes that are going on with Docs Outside the Box. Actually, I just got back from Chicago. I went to go visit the physician CEO program. Remember, it's headed by Dr. Guy Kazarian. He was episode 37, and I got a really good chance to learn about the program really up close to see all the modules and to spend some time with the students, find out what attracted them to the program, what they're learning, and also at the same time to see some of the progress that they've made. And as just like last time when we partnered up with Physician CEO, I definitely recommend this for you, especially for you doctors who are looking to develop those entrepreneurial skills, as well as to learn more about business. So look, make sure you check out Physician CEO. That's www physician-ceo.com to learn more about it. Also, please check your emails. I'm sending out those Amazon gift cards to the two listeners who I chose who submitted the surveys. I learned a lot from you all. I learned things that you don't like about the show, things that you do like, and like I said in the beginning, this is all part of just a way to rework the podcast and give you more of what you want. And I think you're going to be pleased with with the big changes that are going to be coming up. So with this episode, this episode is going to be a question and answer, a Q and A from one of our guests. Like I said, you can always reach me via email or social media if you have any questions. It's to the point where I get so many questions now that sometimes I respond either via video or now what i'll start doing is i'll start answering the majority of the questions through the podcast so for this episode i got physician ceo as well as jamie fleischner to weigh in on the question from our guest so without further ado let's get on with this show physician on fire an old guest thanks for joining me on docs outside the box man
1: Thank you for inviting me back on the show. You know, I was just looking at uh, the old Skype blog of the first chat we had. It was a year ago. A yes, no, tomorrow. A year ago tomorrow that we talked on uh, the first podcast. So, long time, but uh, glad to be back.
0: So, that I guess that's an attribute or you can attribute that to us being really consistent. You know, that's really good because, you know, a lot of people, a lot of podcasts, a lot of blogs, they fall off after what? Would you say like the first three, maybe even six three, months? Six months, Yeah. Yeah. You know, now, how long have you have you been blogging? Now,
1: it's been almost two and a half years. Oh
0: wow, wow, wow! That's almost. I think I'm I'm catching up to you. I'm right now. I just passed two years a month ago or two months ago. I can't remember.
1: So cool. Yeah, so we have the same uh, birth year there, 2016. I started oh. in January. So
0: okay, I was in April. So we're about four months. I'm four months behind you. But listen, man, this is um, the second time that I'm doing q and A. Q&A. On Docs Outside the Box. So a resident sent me a question, and I think it's a really uh, pertinent question, but I also think it's a question that a lot of residents and even early attendings may have. So how about we get to it? Let's do it. So I did not include his name into this, but he is a third-year neurology resident. So he says, hi, Dr. Darko. Love these podcasts. Such amazing information for residents since this is all information that you have to learn on your own. So grateful. I wanted your opinion. I am a third year neurology resident and thinking ahead as I prepare to lay down my loans and start working. What do you think about the public service loan forgiveness plan over the 10 year period? So this is a really, really good question. Um, so thank you again for submitting this question. This is a two-part question. So I just, let's go through the first part. And why don't you, Physician on Fire, just take us really briefly through what the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Plan is, and then just lead that into what your advice is for this uh, resident.
1: So the uh, the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Plan, or PSLF, is a program in which the federal government uh, will allow uh, certain individuals to have their student loans forgiven if they meet certain criteria. Uh, and it's a fairly strict uh, set of criteria. So before you even think about going down that path, you want to make sure that you will meet those criteria. But if you do, it can be really a, a, a nice boon and really a, a financial uh, win if it works out in the end. So, you know, just to run down those criteria.
0: Yeah, let's get some of those criteria. Give us yeah. like maybe the top three criteria and then they can look out the rest, but at least some of the, th- the three that you can think of and, and let us know about.
1: You need to be employed by a nonprofit, and you know for us that'll usually be a nonprofit hospital. All right, can't be a, a private practice that uh, is not uh, listed as a 501c3 with the government. So that's the biggest one. Most residency programs will qualify. Most fellowships will, although a few of those now are actually in uh, for-profit hospitals. So you need to make sure you're good there. Uh, number two would be it's it's ten years of making payments. So you need to make 120 payments towards your student loans. And number three is that you're on one of the income-based repayment plans, like pay-as-you-earn or revised pay-as-you-earn, IBR. So, yeah, you want to do those things. And if you do and you certify that you are working for an employer that qualifies, you can have your loan balance at the end of this 10-year period forgiven tax-free. And that can save people $100,000, hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on what that starting balance is.
0: Now, here's something that I know a lot of people are scared about. They verbalize it, but they don't know if it's actually true. So I don't know if it's a myth or anything like that, but it's this notion of, let's say you start the public service loan program, the payback, and let's say administrations change, right? Because this was a big deal bet- you know during the 2016 elections. Is it possible that while you're in your payback, if administration's change, that the program could be disbanded or discontinued while, like let's say you're in year three or year seven or year eight?
1: That is a risk. The uh, general thought among the people that tend to discuss this online is that most likely if the program were to be disbanded, the people currently enrolled would be grandfathered in. Now, there's no guarantee that would happen, but that would certainly be the hope. And I still think it's a risk worth taking. You know, I think the, the odds of it being completely taken away and scrapped are pretty small. And again, if, if that does happen, yeah, you know, you, you, you hope you could be grandfathered in. Now, if you're not, you should at least prepare for that. And what I would recommend in that case is you start investing and save up enough money in, a, in an account that you have access to, like a taxable brokerage account. Um, that would actually cover the interest that you are hoping to have forgiven and the remaining balance. So there there should be like a parallel savings investing if you're pursuing PSLF. And that's a good thing because that's going to force you also to start investing and maybe saving more than you would otherwise and and spending less. So that's going to help with the financial future too.
0: So basically they should not go balls to you know what, the way how me and my wife did it and try to do it all in three years. Because that really wasn't a balanced approach that we took I know most people would say you should probably take a more balanced approach
1: period right so you uh, you knew that you're gonna have to pay those off no matter what and so that's kind of a different situation but I mean, if I, you're on if you're going for PSLF you want to pay as little as you can so you want to figure out which of those income based repayment plans are going to have you paying the lowest uh, monthly payment right that's and have the highest student loan balance at the end of the ten years. So then at the same
0: time, though, you should be saving either in, like you said, a tax brokerage account or even a high yield savings account, which obviously you shouldn't do the majority of your savings. You should be um, in some form or fashion investing in something that's going to be higher yield. What about the situation, for example, that I did, which is I explained before balls to the, you know what, wall where me and my wife minimized savings, minimized investing into 401ks or into SEP IRAs um, and really just focused the majority of our income, sometimes as much as 80% towards student loans. We were able to pay off a lot of our student loans in three years. And the reason why we did that is we knew, okay, if we can sacrifice for three years, that hopefully that's not too much time that we lose ground on the retirement game and we can quickly catch up. What are your thoughts on taking that approach versus taking the public service loan forgiveness plan approach, which is 10 years?
1: Well, first, let me just say congratulations because what you guys did was amazing. I think you paid off, what, close to $700,000 in student loans over three years? Oh, yeah. Or eight oh, or yeah. whatever it was. Just, yeah, crazy number. And that's that takes a lot of discipline and it's not easy to do. Um, comparing that to pursuing public service loan forgiveness... I guess when you're looking at which option is going to make the most sense for you, I would look at two factors. Number one is just how big are your student loans? Now yours were quite large. That favors PSLF as long as you're going to meet those criteria, which again, you weren't going to because you weren't working for a, a, a nonprofit. Uh, the other factor is I would look at is what is the discrepancy in pay between a typical job and your specialty when working for a nonprofit hospital in an employed situation versus working for a private practice or being an independent contractor like you. So, uh, you know, again, your uh, plan of just knocking them all down, just boom, boom, boom. Uh, that's a great thing to do if you're not going to go for public service loan forgiveness. And a lot of people do neither, right?
0: Mm, yeah, that's a good point. it just kind of just drag them out and uh, kind of hope for the best and hope that i guess in 60 at the age of 60 or 70 they'll be gone
1: yeah you don't want to treat it like a mortgage <laughs> right um, and as far as for going for investing i think it's smart to take advantage of of uh, you know say the 401k you know maybe the backdoor Roth IRA, a few things that uh, are tax advantage that you only get once a year and you're not going to be able to make up for what you didn't get to put in to a 401k or a Roth IRA in those early years. Um, So I would uh, recommend prioritizing paying off the student loans and trying to get it done within three to five years, um, but not necessarily at the, Risk of losing a, a match that your employer might give in a 401k. No, That free I mean, money. I mean, Absolutely, you want to get the free money, and uh, and and you can only do a backdoor Roth fifty five hundred per year per person, and you, you don't get to go back and and do it for prior years other than the previous year up until April seventeenth or whatever tax day is.
0: Love it. I love the answers. Thank you very much for getting real. So it looks as though our resident had another question. Um, I love that he's trying to fit in two into one. But basically he says, Mm -hmm. (laughs) also, I know you guys, he's referring to me and my wife, um, canceled your disability insurance and downgraded with better prices with set for life insurance. As a resident, would it be wise to forego disability insurance until the absolute end of fellowship or should I purchase now as a resident? Thanks again, much appreciated. So what, just so the rest of the audience knows, Um, What me and my wife did is we did not get rid of our disability and and life insurance in general. We just basically exchanged our expensive plans for cheaper plans, but we still have disability insurance and life insurance. We used to have cash value life insurance. We now have term life insurance. So um, I'm going to pass the ball to you, Physician on Fire. What say you?
1: Well, I say that uh, term life insurance is almost always a better deal uh, than whole life, uh, particularly when you have student loan debt, and uh, there are only a few places that uh, it makes much sense to look at whole life, and that's, like, if you are thinking you'll have a uh, uh, estate tax problem, meaning you'll have more than $22 million to uh, uh, dole out to <laughs> your heirs, so yeah, term yeah, life is that definitely a good there. <laughs> um, but he didn't ask about that so much as uh, disability. Yes. And the question was, should he forego disability insurance as a resident? Um, well, disability insurance is there to cover you uh, and cover the income that you're not going to have. If you do become disabled, then the statistics say that something like one in seven people will... Um, have a disability at some point in their lifetime, and so you have to weigh the, the risk uh, reward there of going there essentially without disability, and you can lock in uh, better rates quite often as a resident um, or fellow before graduating to become an attending, um, and it's also a good idea to look at the rates in different states. For example, if you are in, in training in one state and plan to move to another, the uh, actual cost of the policy may be more in the state that you're moving to or, or maybe less. So I would definitely talk to a broker and and compare uh, different rates for different places and different points in your career.
0: I think we have a broker in mind, don't you? Well,
1: I had a guest <laughs> post from one of your former uh, guests on this podcast, oh, yeah. Jamie Fleischner of Set for Life, and she discussed all the different discounts that are available to physicians for disability. I have a feeling you may bring her on the show and find out what she has to say.
0: Yeah. So we're going to have her um, in the next segment answer this question. Also from the broker side, one thing I want to get your opinion on the physician on fire fire is short for financially independent retire early. You don't know nothing about this disability or life insurance game, right? I used to have policies.
1: It's <laughs> not
0: part of your life anymore. I love it. It Tell is them. not.
1: No, that's um, something like $4,000 a year that I no longer are, are, am paying in premiums because the whole point of these are to give you money to provide for your family or yourself in the case that you are no longer working or no longer living. And once you've saved enough money to cover you or your family's future expenses, then those policies become redundant. So that's one of the many benefits I tout of becoming financially independent is you can start saving money on those uh, policy premiums. Hey,
0: you don't have to brag, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, man, I really, really appreciate you answering these questions. Why don't you, you know, we're always getting new listeners on the show. Why don't you let the audience know more about you, how they can find about your your blog, and uh, learn more about you.
1: Oh, sure. Yep. I'm a 42-year-old anesthesiologist. I'm working part-time now, which I started doing uh, six now, eight months ago. And I started a blog, like we said, two and a half years ago called PhysicianOnFire.com. And that is the easiest way to find me. I also have a Facebook page, a Facebook group for physicians called Physicians. I'm Man, that's
0: a very vibrant group. Yeah, oh, we've got, got almost
1: 5,000 members on. now and uh, a lot of good conversations happening there on personal finance and issues related to financial independence and physician issues. Uh, and I'm pretty active on Twitter as well, I'm just at PhysicianOnFire.
0: Love it. So that's Love how you can find me. It. Hey, you down to do this again if we get
1: another personal finance question? You bet. Happy to chime in anytime.
0: And now, a word from our sponsor. Understanding how to run a business in medicine will put you at a unique advantage in the future. Whether it's leading a hospital practice or starting a new venture, the Physician CEO program will put you in focus from day one. Physician CEO is an accelerated business immersion program developed by MBA faculty from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. The Physician CEO program provides an intensive MBA style education made up of modules with each module covering topics from leadership to entrepreneurial ventures. Because of their individualized structure, each participant leaves the program with their one, three, and even five-year business plan, all designed to function in the real world. If you're a physician who is looking to start your own venture, lead your practice or department, or even start planning for succession out of medicine, then you can't afford to miss this opportunity. Class is filling up. Learn more at www.physician-ceo.com forward slash D-O-T-B. Jamie Fleissner. Thanks for joining us on Docs Outside the Box. What's up?
2: Thanks for having me. It's
0: been a long time. I think the last time you were on was episode seven or eight. I can't remember, but it was (laughs) quite a few episodes ago. And um, I know a lot has uh, been going on on your end.
2: Well, we continue to stay very busy. We're still working with a lot of residents and physicians all over the country. And we really enjoy when people come to us from Docs Outside the Box. They're very enthusiastic and knowledgeable. Um, We still have discounts all over the country and we help people find the best rates, the best policies, most suitable products, and really listen to their needs and find what's best for them.
0: We actually have a question. Um, from a guest. So the first half of the podcast, Physician on Fire answered his first portion of the question, but actually the second part of the question, I thought that you would be the best to answer this question. So I'm going to go ahead and read it to you. Ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. So he's a third year um, neurology resident and he says, I know you guys canceled your disability insurance and downgraded with better prices with set for life insurance. As a resident, Would it be wise to forego disability insurance until the absolute end of fellowship, or should I purchase now as a resident? Thanks again. Much appreciated. So he must be referring to an earlier episode that I did with my wife where we talked about how we got rid of our cash value life insurance as well as our expensive disability insurance, but we actually still have disability insurance. So the uh, stage is yours. Go ahead and answer that question.
2: Well, I don't think it's a good idea to completely forego disability insurance because things can happen during residency, um, not just during residency, but also people's health can change, which could preclude them from purchasing disability insurance in the future. So if you have several years to go in residency, what I typically recommend doing is getting a minimum size policy such as $2,000 a month, something with a low rate um, that would lock in insurability and still allow somebody to increase in the future as their income increases, but they don't have to answer medical questions. Questions in the future. So that's really the most important thing, just being able to protect that insurability. So the risk isn't as much a disability occurring during residency, although that can happen, but the risk is also a change in health, which when you're done with your training and now you can't buy insurance, that's a bigger risk. But I also don't recommend over insuring yourself during residency Uh, you want to have something that's still within budget something that's going to be affordable so it's the minimum cost but has the maximum potential increases in the future so you don't have to go through the whole process again
0: awesome let's do a little scenario let's say for example this third-year neurology resident is healthy um, you know doesn't smoke just a healthy male He's right. looking for disability insurance. And you're saying something around the range of $2,000 a month. Yeah. Is, that, is that 2000 If he was to get disabled, he would get $2,000 a month?
2: Correct, tax free. Now, most group, uh, most residency programs do also have some disability insurance. So, if something happened. He would probably have some benefits through the group as well as the individual. Uh, but two thousand a month benefit. Again, depending on how old he is, you're probably looking in the range of forty to fifty dollars per month. And that's, uh, that's what I
0: wanted to get for you. How much that, cost. Much that would yeah. cost? So it would be
2: too much. Yeah, so for women, again, depends on if you're able to get a unisex rate or not, depends on the medical specialty. Women, it's going to be a little bit more expensive. But really, you don't, you know, if you can get something for $40, $50 a month, especially if you have several years to go, it's not going to break the budget, but it's going to lay the foundation to purchase more in the future.
0: Awesome, awesome. So um, let's say it's a woman, though. Let's, um, she's healthy. I know there's the pink price tag. Right, mm-hmm. So the prices are a little bit more elevated for women than men. Um, can you one explain the pink price tag, you know, uh, that whole phenomenon, and then also tell us what he or, she, or what she would expect to pay for the same like $2,000 dollars a month uh, benefit?
2: So rates are based on male and female, and women pay twice as much as men do for disability insurance. That's both based on claims experience. That is fair. Well it's based on claims experience and it's also based on women tend to stay on claim longer so as a result their rates are more Uh, we get a break on the life insurance we live longer but on the disability insurance it's more expensive so what I generally recommend is trying to find a unisex discounted policy what a unisex policy means is the rate is the same for men and for women and it's discounted. There are still a couple companies left that do unisex rates for residents. Some companies only do unisex rates for physicians attendings no longer in residency. So if you're towards the end of your residency, you may want to apply as a first year, have the policy start as a first year physician and get those unisex rates. That's what I'm doing a lot of right now in June. We're having the policy start in July. With somebody who's got several years to go, again, I would recommend getting a, um, try to get a unisex policy, minimum size policy, so for that, a month, it might cost $50 to $60 per month. Uh, The other option is doing a $2,000 a month benefit and doing a premium that's called graded. There's fixed rates, level rates, and there's also some companies that offer a graded increasing rate so if you've got three four years to go start with the minimum graded rate again that might cost you know 20 25 30 dollars per month who, goes up uh, slightly each year
0: who would be a good candidate for that are you talking about like first year residents or
2: yeah so i do that a lot on medical students first year residents that i've been used- that
0: early huh wow
2: yeah some have some do that that early um or you know somebody's starting a you know, neurosurgery residency, they've got six years to go. They're not going to have a lot in their budget. They don't need to overinsure. The goal, again, is just to get the policy um, while you're still insurable, and then you can make the changes at a later time.
0: I love it. I love it. So real quick, I know you mentioned um, you talked about overinsuring. So really quickly, can you tell us what that is?
2: Well, what I usually recommend, whether it's for residents or attendings, whenever you're looking at insurance, you want to insure yourself for how much do you need to have. So you want to take a look at what are your fixed expenses, what's the household income, and if something happens, how much do you need to have. So like right now, I'm working with a lot of people. They're finishing up their training, and now they're getting their big incomes. You can insure to that maximum amount. However, not everybody lives off to that maximum amount. So figure out how much you need to have and only insure for that amount. Um, Disability insurance is a non-taxable benefit. So you're insuring your take-home pay. Some people live on their full um, take-home pay or they need to, but some people live on less. So if you reduce the benefit amount, that's also going to reduce your fixed costs.
0: Love it. Love it. Okay, great. So I think we pretty much answered his question from from head to toe. So Jamie, once again, thanks for your time. Um, Do you want to take a quick moment to let the audience know how they can get in touch with you?
2: Yeah, the best way to get in touch with us is just to go to our website, setforlifeinsurance.com, S-E-T-F-O-R-L-I-F-E, insurance.com, click on request a quote, and that way I'll have all the pertinent information and I can go ahead and start putting together a quote comparison. There's also our contact information on there. Somebody just has a quick question, they can contact us, info at setforlifeinsurance.com, and we're always good about responding right away.
0: Yeah. I've gotten emails back from you like past business hours. I love it. So
2: <laughs> all the time. <laughs> we'll keep up the good work.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Jamie.
2: All right. Take care.